Hello, welcome to the Alternative Podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest. We've got uh, Matt. Uh, Matt runs a few different podcasts, but today we're going to specifically be talking about one called Occult Disney. Uh, something, if you've been following the podcast for a while, me and Aaron have um, sort of stumbled across and ended up getting hooked into and just going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of occultism, uh, entertainment, Disney. It all sort of links up. So, yeah, introduce Matt. And I mean, to start with, could you give us, the audience, a bit of a sort of description of what you would define occultism as uh, or, or occult as? And sort of just just a, a well-rounded view of, of it as a whole. Yeah, um, we sort of hit up the whole occult idea as basically just being hidden. So that can come in many different forms, of course, you know, that that could be just where these the source material came from. We find that is often a very interesting rabbit hole to dive down to find out what was the original like, who made the original, you know, what kind of connections did they have? Um, occult could be magical things. Uh, when we started out the podcast, we we started with Fantasia, even though Snow White is the first movie, uh, basically because we're like, oh, this is kind of the, you know, it, you could say Walt Disney himself or the Disney company casting a spell that continues, it, like most of the things we associate with Disney and, and more, you can find in Fantasia. I mean, there's characters, you know, there's like mermaids in there that later look like the mermaids in Peter Pan or the little mermaid, you know? So the, these different symbols keep coming up. So we're keeping an eye out for those. I mean, there's the occultism, like the, the dust and the air and the Lion King spelling sex, which is fun, but it's not, you know, we'll bring it up when it, when it happens, but that's not the main focus, you know? So we, we are looking a little more into what do these mean? How do they shape people? Uh, you know, how do they shape our minds? Uh, you know, if you, like Disney, you don't like Disney or not. If you're living in Western civilization, something about that has probably influenced, you know, the way the way we do business and or live our lives, you know? Yeah, because in the West you sort of um you sort of made sort of like you have to like Disney. If you don't like Disney, you're not part of the Western tribe. So going through school, you'll have um I don't know, days in school where you have to dress up as Disney characters. So, so it's sort of embedded into our society from such a young age that these are the movies that are bringing us up. These Disney, they're the ones that are teaching us the most. I think there was um, a statistic I saw somewhere that the first biggest thing that you consume as a human is oxygen. And the second biggest thing that you consume as a human is entertainment. And when Disney plays such a big role in children's lives, that's literally bringing you up to think that these certain ideals that they possess are right but there's an underlying message that Walt Disney has been putting in Disney uh let's say you know um my my partner on that the the paranoid American uh who does conspiracy comic books and stuff I, I just got chatting to him about Fantasia and we just got in a groove where we started talking about these and uh he, he used to work at Disney World um, we both like this stuff, but it's it's kind of more empowering to know what you're watching, to understand it, what the art is. Um, I, I think the movie we both ruined the most for ourselves is probably The Sword in the Stone. Um, the, the Paranoid American in particular was very happy that we got through Robin Hood without souring the film. So that was nice. But most of the films we come out liking when we finish, you know, it's not like we're... Uh, like this is a dark presence that's a scour on civilization but there are things where you have to be like 
what's in here and how is it influencing people in good and bad ways, you know, and, and funny ways, quirky ways too. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the quirky ways you've come across that, how it's influencing society and children watching consuming the entertainment? There's different, you know, there's definitely different phases. Like what Disney's doing now is we, we're currently, uh, we just did the Black Cauldron. We're going to do the Great Mouse Detective. So we're in the middle of the 80s still. So, you know, if, if people thinking about Disney in the past 10, 15 years, um, we haven't gotten to those. I, and I think we're going to stay animated. Um, some, if, if Disney I don't like is most of the live action remakes. I, I don't even care if they're woke. They can be woke. That's fine. Uh, the thing I don't like about them is they're, they're not usually very good. <laughs> I, I'm a massive Trekkie. I'll watch, I'll watch woke stuff. You know, I, I, you know, sometimes it's like, Oh, that's kind of on the nose there, but it, you know, I, I just understand it's there, you know, so, sometimes I agree with that stuff. Sometimes I don't, you know, mm. Yeah. What, so that means you're not going to go into the Marvel universe or is that something? Um, I mean, if we're doing this in like five years, who knows? But the, the plan right now is basically to stick to the uh, animated world, which which will eventually include Pixar, I think, because those definitely are worth going for. But uh, yeah, our focus right now is kind of animation. I like to go on tangents about the theme parks. I, you know, I'm, I, I have like weird theme park knowledge cramming my head and stuff and, and that sort of thing. We will... Sometimes we will pair up, like, um, I think, what was, oh, uh, maybe 101 Dalmatians. Well, we were looking at the 90s version. We, you know, we talked about the uh, recent Cruella a little bit, although I have not personally watched that. So, I mean, that's one thing with media now, uh, just doing these Disney films, it's, it's been very simple so far. It's like, okay, they did this movie two years later, they did this. Every, uh, there was a, you know, World War II, there was a law. In the 70s, there was a law. And, and I, I look at the list and, it's a pretty linear, easier to follow list until the nineties when it starts to explode. And by the time you get to the past 15 years, it's like, Oh my God, what's happening. So, I mean, we could like, I mean, we don't even have to stop doing the animated stuff. We'll never run out of things. If we uh, just keep going, you know, all the way to whatever the present of the of, is at that time. Yeah. Well, so you've, you know, well, obviously following your timeline, you, you, you started around the world wars um, era. Did you, discover much propaganda put in Disney during them times. Oh, if you would like to see some hardcore Disney propaganda, um, one of the first ones we did was a victory through air power, which was because uh, Disney was making training films, propaganda films, things for the war. I mean, that's all they made. They, they basically half their animators went to war and the ones that were still there were making things for the U S government. So, uh, uh, Disney himself made his, his pet project Victory Through Air Power, where he uh, had taken a World War One pilot who had the theory that you know air power was the way to win World War Two, and um, he basically, I think, he put a lot of his own money into making this movie, which was more or less to convince you know people like Roosevelt and Churchill to change their strategy to this one, which did have an effect. Uh, you know, uh, uh, of course the nuclear bomb is not part of that conversation that was made before that so it's just like how do you island jump um i mean there's always a thing that the war ending on the on the pacific front is you know because russia was the big dog about to bite so <laughs> you know japan wanted to end that before that got underway so right okay yeah because that's one thing that i've uh that's where it sort of started the disney machine was with the war 
Um, yeah, just before they'd only made about three or four movies when the when the war really kicked in, and and those last two, you know, the, the Europe was already at war, so people were probably thinking about it for sure. Did you notice any changes in Disney when Walt passed away? Um, they were really afloat for a while. Um, you can definitely tell, like, like you know, Walt even by the fifties he was making Disneyland so he they'd ask him a question he'd say yes or no right uh things like that but in the 70s especially it, like it, it wasn't clear what identity they wanted to have so uh the movies of the 70s we have the ones after Walt was really involved is the Aristocats kind of a all over the place movie uh we, we actually paired that with the Aristocrats the uh the dirty joke documentary just for fun um <laughs> So, uh, you know, Robin Hood's good, but it's it's kind of it's a little it's it's fun, weird, but it's a little weird. Um, the Rescuers is like five years after that. So not much was happening. It's like they were kind of afraid to make stuff, I think, for a while. Uh, the Black the black Cauldron was a big kind of swing and a miss. Uh, we just did our podcast on that a few weeks ago and we found like I was like, this is the best animation they've had since Fantasia. Also having a lot more of the magical elements than the past, you know, six or seven movies had uh the story doesn't hold together on that in great part but uh i forget the author's name i apologize but they've taken like five books and tried to cram all of them into an 80 minute movie and that, that doesn't really work uh but as far as like having interesting magical elements having fantastic animation it, it's, it's worth at least one look because i think a lot of people haven't seen that one so uh i feel like it's a linchpin if you're talking a caught disney yeah yeah definitely um, yeah, because Walt was part of a, a cult, um, what would you call it, a sec- I don't know if it's secret, but a society, a cult society in his younger years? Not not so secret. It's kind of like the uh, the, the, the Masons for Kids, and uh, it's kind of French name. I, I apologize. I, I, sometimes I don't have all the names in my head, so I don't like pull up his wiki page, but... Uh, yeah, he was in it. It was basically like he's a Boy Scout, you know. I mean, I was in the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts have its own like kind of weird secret society thing, which is uh, the the Order of the Arrow, and they have their their ordeal, which is like you know kind of a um well a Disneyland version of say uh, a secret society initiation or something. And then you can move up in the ranks, and you're supposed to like it's kind of mysterious. So you know the Boy Scouts have it. Let's see, uh, Watts version. If I can track. Was it the Rossi Crucians? uh that's a little a little more in the past i think um i don't know if wiki's actually going to give me that information i apologize but um yes he, he was in one it was it was supposed to kind of build up boys in a way that the mason would masons would uh you know bring together adult societies um it's not i mean it's not that nefarious except for the fact that yeah it's got some of the trappings of like a kid's secret society uh, later on, I, he was trying to crack into the whole Bohemian Grove scene and never could quite do that. And and kind of like was half-assedly trying to start his own version. So, um. <laughs> so what connection, um, if any, does the because of the club right in Disneyland in Florida called the Thirty Three Club? Oh, uh, Thirty Three. Uh, now, there I, th- I think the Club Thirty Three is actually at disneyland is like for high paying folks um it's a really nice dining room with really nice service um it's not particularly secret but you do need to like i guess be a member of 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 disney something or or pay a fair amount of money i was reading a 
Imagineer Kevin, Kevin Rafferty's book. And he started off just basically like mopping the floors. But, you know, after a year build up to serving people at, at Club 33 before actually cracking into the uh, more creative scene. So, hey. do, you, do you know if there's any link between Club, Club 33 and Freemasonry? Because I know in Freemasonry, you have the 33rd degree. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, again, his, his childhood, you know, his, his faux Boy Scouts would have had a few things like that. And in the 30s, keep in mind, in the 30s, occultism was a little more, like, on people's minds. Uh, especially 80s satanic panic got people to kind of start thinking about it some. But, you know, at that time, you're coming right off the time when you have Manly P. Hall, you, you had, uh, you know, the Golden Dawn stuff. So people are talking a little more openly about things like uh, masonry. Uh, it kind of got forgotten for, not forgotten, but probably a little under the radar. I know I grew up in the 80s, and I remember going to several weddings in Masonic Halls, uh, not knowing at the time I should be looking for the the, in, the really interesting rooms, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Yeah. So the way I sort of see it is they've they they, they blew out they blew up when uh, the wars were there because Walt Disney was um, sort of smart enough to jump on the bandwagon of uh, creating propaganda propaganda for the war. But I know you've not analysed the modern films to the degree that you um, analyse the uh, the classics as we want to call them. But the way I sort of see it now is that that adaptation of creating propaganda never went away. And as he's considered to be in the circle of the elites, and I don't think that's through uh, Freemasonry, but it's just through the sort of status that he acquired on his journey. But do you still think that propaganda is still being used to this day, today? For sure. I mean, uh, you know, I, the, the only, I think the best thing on propaganda is if there's art, most art has some kind of propaganda. If I, if I'm, you know, I like to make music. It's going to have a little bit of my worldview in it, that sort of thing. Um, if I'm creating art, I might there might be something I feel strongly about or someone else feels strongly about higher up that mentioned it, right? Um, if I'm aware it's there and it's good art, I, I can get, you know, I can get with it. There, there's extreme examples. Uh, one of the seminal Hollywood films is Birth of a Nation. Does not play well now, uh, but it's a very interesting film. It's a very well-made film. Uh, it's problematic now, but you know, watching you know what the propaganda is, or just the weird um, viewpoint of that film. Uh, even D.W. Griffith, the guy that made it, his next film, he's like, "Oh yeah, that didn't really play too well. Maybe I'll make a movie called Intolerance." You know, which um, that one's a more of a slog to watch, actually. Uh, so, <laughs> but knowing what you're getting into is is good. I think you know, educating yourself about what you're getting into because. Most artists, even when there is like an agenda behind it, are, they're, they're trying to create art to create art. You know, sometimes you have to create your art with a government or a corporation telling you this must be in it. Um, have you guys seen David Lynch's movie, uh, Mulholland Drive? Nope. No. Okay, there's a scene in it where um, it seems so, it came out in like 2001. It, was, it seems so, maybe 1999, somewhere around there. Uh, it seems so weird at the time. Uh, there, there's a, a girl singing like, you know, for a, a girl group, like a pop singer, right? 
And then this big wig comes in and is just like, get that girl out of there. This is the girl. And brings in like this very robotic girl, you know, like now you'd be like, oh man, that's an that's an MK Ultra robot there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and they bring her in and put her behind the mic and she just starts you know, go-go dancing and singing and smiling. And and you know, at the time, oh, it's just David Lynch being weird. But now you're like, no, he's that's how Hollywood works. You're trying to create this thing, and, and someone comes in and says, This is the girl, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you still want to create your art. You still want to make something good. I, I got to make the art with this other girl now, who maybe I don't think is as talented as the one I was working with before. But, you know, uh, the people paying the bills have, have voiced to this person on me, and I, I need to make the best with what I can. So, uh, yeah, because, well, Walt himself, um, brought well no, i wouldn't say what himself but D- disney itself brought has brought some of the biggest celebrities that we've got today came through the sort of disney what you call it, like the youth system because you've got like uh miley cyrus i think justin timberlake if i'm not mistaken was yeah that's correct uh britney spears with the mouse here oh, that yeah. that being of course way past Watt's time i yeah like Walt did start that system uh one of the original mouseketeers was was Annette, right? And who was a big star for 20 years. And if you want to have a fun time, uh, look up some of her albums from the 60s. It's all like uh, weird puns on her name. And she can't really sing, but and, and it's really weird how her voice comes across. It's kind of fun, uh, but you wouldn't listen to it all day. But uh, yeah, it's it's like this early failed version of the, the Disney kid hit making machine. So the template was there in the 50s for sure. Uh, didn't really start working until those 90s Mouseketeers started blowing up, I guess. Um, there's there's the pro- maybe apocryphal story that Disney's last words were Kurt Russell or something, thinking like Kurt Russell would be like the next big thing because uh, he was originally a bunch of like really schlocky uh, live-action Disney films like late 60s, early 70s, like the computer wore tennis shoes, you know? So, Right. So to summarize, would you say... The, well, this is obviously a prediction, I guess, um, or a thought. Would you say the fact that Walt Disney was so involved in occultism, do you think that has been uh, sort of reason to why Disney has become as successful as it is today? Well, I think one thing is if you are fluent in occultism, especially in practice, because we uh, many of us can learn things and you know, like it, good or bad, you know, you know, you create your own reality, all these sorts of things. Uh, but I think probably he did learn some of the tools, just how you deal with people with plenty of failures. Uh, you know, the, the animation studio, they, they loved Watt until the 40s when they didn't like their pay and how the credits were and went on strike. And, uh, you know, what, like if you watch uh, Dumbo, there's a bunch of clowns and silhouette and those are all the al- animators that went on strike. He's basically making fun of them. So uh, while the scabs are making Dumbo or, or more like the old guard. But yeah, he kind of, you know, he started off being more like an ideal art, an idealist artist with with background and, you know, uh, having grown up in this and knowing a few tricks of the trade, so to speak. But uh, it's the whole thing. You, you get power and you get more conservative. And yeah, <laughs> the sort of Citizen Kane story. So what what's the weirdest and quirkiest thing you've come across so far in when you've been exploring Disney movies? Um, I think our go-to so far is the book sequel to 101 Dalmatians. Um, and I want to find the title of this to do that properly. Uh, Dalmatians. 
Um, there are sequels to it, of course, live action and animated. Uh, but the original book has a sequel. I want to say it's called The Starlight Barking. Uh, I'm still having a look. There, the 101 Dalmatians. Dottie, okay, Dottie Smith is the author. And the sequel is the important thing here, not not the book itself. I'm going to have to click on her name. But it was called The, uh, the Starlight Barking, where, like, like every all the humans like go into a coma or something and here we go Let, we'll, we'll go with the let's see if we can do a bit of the uh wikipedia dive here let's see the dearly family and most of the dalmatians of the first book still live in blah 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 one morning the dogs find all other living things besides dogs cannot be wakened no dog is hungry thirsty or weak Doors, gates, and machines operate on command, and dogs are able to communicate via thought waves to others many miles away. This is the first paragraph. Uh, let's go to the last paragraph. Uh, <laughs> Holy Poli returns from his adventure in Paris to George, who reveals Sirius, the dog star, appealed there as well, and this is surmised as he appeared everywhere at once, as a star is not bound by earthly time. So, What? <laughs> Basically, the dogs are invited to go with Sirius to, like, I don't know, the distant cosmos with them. But they decide they love their owners so much they, they want to stay with their owners. So I guess after the story ends, uh, things are back to uh, Victorian England normal. I don't know. But, yeah, that, that was one of the weirdest ones. Um, the other one being uh, the Gnome Mobile, which was filmed in Mirror Wood. So the one where he was kind of trying to cozy up to the Bohemian uh, Grove scene a bit there was some weird thing he was talking about where he wanted to like project the movie on redwood trees which that that didn't happen and I don't think the Bohemian Grove liked the movie because it's it's very bizarre it's it's uh it's uh, it's like a uncle a, a senile old uncle and his and his two niece, a grand niece and nephew and they're basically trying to get like a an elf laid it's really weird so that that yeah that's the no mobile. I think you can can you watch it on YouTube, maybe. Yeah. So those are those are probably the two weirder ones we've we've uncovered. Uh, one of which being an actual live action Disney movie uh, without animation. It has animatronics in it, but it doesn't have animation. So that's kind of bizarre. Right. And then the second one just being sort of like his gateway attempt into joining Bohemian Grove. Right. Right. Close to his death. I think the movie actually came out after at least his head was frozen or whatever so <laughs> <laughs> so has Walt Disney actually been frozen was that well you know uh I think part of that rumor comes from the fact that there was an actual attempt to freeze somebody like somewhere around that time like a few weeks later or a few weeks earlier so uh it, I mean Disney might have been looking at that he knew he was dying so uh but I, I actually heard, uh, saw a few articles about like cryogenic companies. Like, think about it, even if you get frozen, what if the company goes up? How well are they maintaining these bodies, especially after everyone they knew is dead? You know, like, <laughs> like, so imagine like a really smelly chamber of like leaking tanks or something. I guess I don't know. But yeah, when you start thinking about how businesses actually work and how a cryogenics business would work, you're like. You know, whoa, whoa, if they're running it like the Walmart, things aren't going well. So. <laughs> yeah, that's actually so true. Like you can, uh, well, how much is it to go through that process? 
oh, well, I just think it would depend on, um, you know, what year you're in and uh, who you're talking to. And I mean, the fact that uh, I'm, a, if you guys are like sitting in a mansion there, that's cool. But uh, I don't think any of us have the money to even look into that. I don't, I don't think they list the rates on their websites. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't know where a website to go to. It's more of a thought experiment. Where I'm just like, well, if these companies are really running, you know, they're going to go under quickly. What do they do with their, you know, who takes care of the, the, the stock? Have, have you seen that film, Idiocracy? Yeah, that came to mind. That, yeah. that, was, that was government. They just bury the place. Yeah, no, I was actually while going while going through that rant, kind of replaying a few idiocracy scenes through my mind. Yeah, <laughs> there's a few celebrities that uh, I don't know how true this is, obviously, but they're rumored to be on the list um, of sort of pre-signed up. I think Tom Cruise is on there. Um, well, he's certainly a you know head Scientologist, not head Scientologist, but the poster boy. <laughs> yeah, he's up there in Scientology. Do, do you know much about Scientology and the big uh, attraction to it? I mean, I saw the South Park episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I've, I've, you know, skittered. I, I've read a few books on it not not the actual well i who knows maybe i should read an actual scientology book i don't know uh i was visiting my friend in tokyo uh it was actually just before a pandemic it was late 2019 and i stumbled across like you know in um near shibuya which is like central tokyo uh i found this like massive like scientology like not quite a skyscraper but you know giant granite building so yeah oh wow that's weird <laughs> I know I actually, I know I sent my buddy the photo of that because it was it was so imposing and yeah in the front windows it just had like a bunch of Dianetics books so yeah <laughs> in Japanese well Japanese and English so yeah there's an international crowd come through Tokyo <laughs> I know I know you've said you've not delved too deep into the um, modern Disney films. Not, I mean, not, not with my occult Disney analysis. Have I seen some of them? Yeah, sure. <laughs> How do you see this ESG agenda affecting Disney in the long run? Do you think they're going to stop going down that path? Or do you think they're too deep into it? It's weird with streaming. You know, it's hard to say because nobody knows what makes money and what doesn't anymore. Um, if it bombs in the theater, I guess, I guess you start rethinking things a little bit, right? I mean, the thing to do is, you know, if you want to really push that, you know, make make something good. Because <laughs> people that are going to see what's going on with it are going to see what's going on, right? So, um, I'm sure I think I, my daughter's 14 now. So, we, we were watching, uh, this is this is more like 10 years ago where we were kind of watching some of the newer, you know, up, up to Moana. I think after Moana is where we kind of fell off the wagon. So, I would say post-Moana. I don't know. Like, uh, let's take the Little Mermaid. So, okay, they, they've cast they've cast a uh, is she is she American? I don't know. But they have a black actress playing Ariel. That's fine if she's good. I've heard she's the best thing about the movie. The problem is uh, the the rest of the movie is apparently terrible. So, <laughs> if the movie is good, people would you know even if you're like, well, I see it. You know, uh, getting back getting back to Star Trek uh Discovery. I like Discovery. It's got a whole lot of uh you know like they have a lot of buying non-binary characters which are used well you know uh if, if you have good characters then sure go for it why not uh if you have bad characters it, i guess the thing is like how much do you show to your kid um so moana is my last i, I was very we watched moana a lot we like that yeah we saw frozen a lot 
uh, Toy Story 3. And I'm, I'm sitting here like, I, I don't feel like there was anything like particularly. Uh, actually, Toy Story 3, for my, not for my Call It Disney, but we did that recently for my, uh, another one of my film podcasts. And we were getting to the point where the messages in this movie aren't very good. <laughs> Uh, if you if you remember Toy Story three, you got Woody going off and leaving his friends in the attic to fester and rot forever. We're like that that's not cool. <laughs> like the, when we were talking, like we weren't looking for a conspiracy or anything in it, but when we just started breaking down, like what is this movie saying? And, and all of us like we like this movie, but when you start like breaking down the message and it's not very good, it's like you know accept your fate and leave your friends. Is is that it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, there was something I was, well, I was doing some reading last night on Disney, and there was one thing which came up where it was saying, if you actually analyse a lot of the Disney films, the underlying message that they're sending isn't good. It's a lot of, like you're saying, a lot of it is um, turn your back on people who are around you, turn your back on parents, turn your back on friends, and aspire to be your, one with yourself and you are the hero sort of thing. Which is, well, Disney notoriously kills the parents, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. They, um, well, there was some, I think, yeah, what, was it in every single Disney film, or at least most Disney films, there's been one tragic death which hasn't been a good message of, of death or something along them lines? It might have been before. Uh, I'll just go for the first through for funsies. Um, Snow White's got a, an evil stepmother, and we don't know about any other parentage. So, uh, but... The family's not doing great. Uh, Dumbo, I don't. Nobody dies, but you know we got Baby Mine, with one of the most depressing scenes in animated film. Uh, so we we definitely have the the toddler elephant being cut away from the mother and getting traumatized. Of course, Bambi, yeah, mom just gets capped. Um, <laughs> uh, Cinderella, you know, wicked stepmother uh, again or whatever it is, stepsisters. Um, yeah, Peter Pan, fly away to Never Neverland. So we got that going on. Um, I guess nobody dies, but it is that is a turn your back on it all because there is the hero's journey and we do see that in some, but it is. Yeah. in Disney, there is a weird twist on that, right? Where um, the hero doesn't get support. Um, actually, a, a good analogy. Are, are you guys familiar? There's a uh, uh, with Tokyo Disney Sea. No, this is a whole nother theme park. There's Disneyland. There's also Disney Sea, the second park. Which uh, I I would say is the best theme park in the world, if anyone's interested. But <laughs> they have the Sinbad ride, which actually does the uh, opposite. Uh, Sinbad's magical journey. Now, when it started, it was you see Sinbad and he's going with his you know his crew, which is the actual legend, like screwing up everybody, right? Doing horrible things. Um, that people weren't happy with that. I guess I actually did ride that version. I thought it, I thought it was funny. I thought it was like the evil. It's a small world. It's a boat ride like that. Uh, they changed it. Now it's got an Alan Menken song, a very good Alan Menken song. Uh, it starts off with Sinbad and everyone loves Sinbad. And and they're just, you know, sending him off with goodwill. And he's going around the world uh, and, and helping everybody in the new ride. It's all the same ride scenes. The narrative's just been changed a little bit. And I'm just throwing that out because that's like the opposite of what we see in most Disney. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Well, that is that because it's catering to a different audience, or is there another reason for that? It might be partly that. It might have been um, Tokyo Disney Resort is uh, run by the Oriental Land Company, which is, I mean, they're just licensing it all, right? right. So they make the decisions. Okay. Um, uh, 
California Adventure opened the same year as Disney Sea, and that that park was a fiasco for several. Still, still is to a certain extent. They finally got some good attractions in there, but it's just it wasn't well thought out, right? So there is a little bit difference, I guess, with the American Disney and the Japanese Disney scene, yeah. uh, for sure. <laughs> right. So, sort of on the back of what Aaron was saying about, um, well, with the ESG, how long will Disney last um, with deploying the ESG strategy? I think it was on, I don't know if you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, but I think it was on there. He did mention once um, about how the old film industry used to be. I don't know if he said if it was in um, New York or was it Chicago? The original, well, the original, but the old film. Start, start in New York. And um, I mentioned D.W. Griffith. He he went. He was the first guy to go out west, basically, uh, just based so the people phoning up the money wouldn't be on set you know, asking questions. So mm. other people started doing that. Um, I've recently had a run-in with, not a run-in, but a, a, a Buster Keaton obsession reignited. So it talks about he made his first shorts in the late 1910s and then was in Hollywood by 1920. So yeah, the Roaring Twenties, I guess, is when Hollywood really, you know, they said the movie Babylon trying to show you every um extreme taken in the 20s and, and a lot of it's not far off base uh as reading a book now called uh, it's called of all the gin joints just going through a bunch of stars from the silent period to the studio period to almost modern times and, and talking about their ridiculous uh drunken exploits and then for and then providing a their drink recipe at the end <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th I think disney's in there somewhere so what one thing is Walt disney was like you know he wanted people to know Walt Disney. He didn't want people to know him. He 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 wanted to know the guy that didn't didn't smoke and didn't drink. You know, you famously until recently could not drink in Disneyland at all. But the guy was chain smoking in his office uh, and getting the back rub and having a fifth of scotch at the end of the day. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you can't drink in there now, apart from in the Thirty Three Club, right? Is that the only place in Disneyland where you can get alcohol? think maybe these star wars areas you can now but uh living in the mountains and 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 raising a kid i haven't actually been to any parks for the past 10 years or so, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very true. um yeah but what was the not um this is sort of just talking about the film industry as a whole but going back to what rogan said on the podcast was i think it was thomas edison and that is might be wrong or might be right that was trying to gain control of the industry the, the film industry and people weren't happy with it. People weren't happy with the restrictions that were put in place. And there was lack of creative freedom because of the uh, sort of processes that were put in. So then people started moving out to Hollywood to gain complete freedom and creativity. But that cycle seems to be going over again with the ESG scores that are happening on movies. And all movies are sort of, to get financial backing, have to have X, Y, and Z in their movies. Is that happening again? I don't know if you know much about what happened there in the past but it seems like that that is that is correct with edison uh one of the that that is among the people that were on d w griffin's back because edison wanted to patent everything including like filming techniques and you had to like hire an edison guy to run your camera that sort of thing so uh, yeah it was easier to get out west and you know the, the lawyers hadn't made it out there yet i guess as far as today i mean what, what are we seeing i guess the big thing is uh these big digital V V um, visual effects rooms are using like on the Mandalorian and stuff, uh, which I guess there's a certain patent to that sort of technology. 
that that definitely because now the studios with money can or the resources at least can make anything on screen i mean i i think it's been clear that especially the past 20 years you still get some micro budget indie films uh you get these massive 100 million dollar plus films you don't get much in the middle anymore and I mean, when you look back at film history, most of the really good movies were in the middle. I mean, something like real Pulp Fiction or The Godfather. I mean, those weren't massive budget movies. They weren't small budget, but they weren't massive budget, right? Which kind of gave them the leeway to have the resources to make something really good, but still be able to put like a, a personal uh, vision behind that. We don't have too many directors that are kind of allowed to do that with money anymore. Um, so do you think that's what explains the reason why qual the quality of movies has sort of fallen off a cliff a little bit over the past I, 10, I, 10 years or so? I'll keep it in, uh, you know, I'll keep it in, um, in Disney terms. Uh, look at that live action Pinocchio last year. I, I don't know if you saw it. I, I haven't watched, I'm not going to watch the whole thing, but it's, it's a train wreck. Pinocchio's creepy. Jiminy Cricket's scary. It, everything looks bland and weird. It's, you know, kind of uncanny valley. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, he made Back to the Future. What's going on? You know, I mean, he also made the Polar Express, so whatever. But <laughs> so it's not like there's not a precedent. But yeah, I mean, do I want to go see James Mangold, not Steven Spielberg? But yeah, I want to go see a new Indiana Jones movie and watch, see what an 80 year old Harrison Ford can fly his plane into, you know, <laughs> as I assume one does. Um, I guess it's Disney now. I, I, I we're not. I do talk Star Wars and other podcasts. Probably not on a call at Disney, but um, yeah. One thing, like the Last Jedi, is my last Star Wars movie now. I mean, I, I don't know if, if, how you guys are on that, but I, I actually like that. I actually did like the message in there that uh, basically eh, anyone be a Jedi. You know, <laughs> it's not like you have to be like some special thing. And then that last movie is like oh wait 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 no no redo redo everything yeah just scratch that last movie that did that didn't work <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i wasn't so into that i am finding myself because i you know i grew up in the the 80s and 90s and i was super into marvel comics right i was super into star wars and i'm getting so burnt out on them now um i i went to see uh what was the, what was the last marvel movie um oh guardians of the galaxy 3 uh, I have I hadn't actually gone to see a Marvel movie for a year. I think Doctor Strange was the last one. And in the past, I would have run out to see all of these things. And um, uh, anyway, I took a forty minute nap. My my theater going mate told me so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a burnout on that. You know, I'm pretty burnout on Star Wars. Uh, like I said, I'm a died in the wool Trekkie, so I, I I do lap that up. But that's uh, you know, as I said, it's, it's just. Yeah, something about that connects to me. Even if I can sit there and be like, "Oh, that's kind of a weird." Do I want that future? I'm not entirely sure. I want to be on that spaceship. I want that hollow deck. Or do I? Maybe I don't want that hollow deck. Come to think of it, that's like, you know, that's. I I, I did some. I actually I made most of my podcast artwork using AI stuff, uh, with a lot of discernment and and work. But yeah, working with some of the AI stuff quickly hit the limits. You know, and, and that's going, I, I know city offices, including some Tokyo ones are switching their basic services to chat GPT now. So that's creepy. <laughs> so if you call in or send an email to them, uh, AI is going to respond. Yeah. It's not going to be a person. That's the future that we're heading to, right? Um... Yeah. And the, the, the news article is like, you know, they, they 
theorize that workers can save 10 minutes a day with this. I'm like, huh? That's not why that, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but I, but I came out thinking like, I wonder if how much this movie was written by AI possibly. Uh, there's, there's a writer strike now in part because of that thing, but the studios could be like, eh, turn out a script with a computer, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you kind of forced it, right. If you're in that situation, I think, um, I forget his name now, but I don't know if you've watched black mirror. Um, I've seen some bits and pieces. Uh, I, I, the the other other podcast I do is the Twilight Zone, so obviously Black Mirror comes up with uh, uh, here and there. Yeah, I, I I forgot his you do you know his name Aaron? Who wrote it? Charlie Booker. That's the one. Yeah, he tried using ChatGPT for the episodes, but he couldn't he couldn't find he couldn't find it work. He couldn't find because Black Mirror is renowned for being sort of so close to home but so out of the box at the same time that it just hits pulls on your heartstrings in a completely different way. But he had trouble using ChatGPT for it because he couldn't find that it allowed him to think out. Well, allowed them, the series to go outside of the box too far. So that's one thing with ChatGPT where it's quite restricted. Is it's not really going to take you to that next level in terms of uh, innovation. Yeah, one of uh, I guess my my the more amusing hijinks we've we've had in the occult Disney is where the where Thomas put the aristocrat joke. Uh, into chat GPT to create a new one, and the result it was it wasn't gory, it wasn't necessarily offensive, but it was disturbing and right. it wasn't funny, hmm. except for the fact that it wasn't funny. I mean, that kind of made it haha funny. Um, I, I, I know a few months ago, uh, I, I think that's all well died down for the time being. All, all the fake I, uh, AI commercials, possibly. So I had people send you a few of those. And the first two, I was like, this is hysterical. And then a day later, there's the third and the fourth. And then I'm like, oh, please stop. Because they're all the same. Like things start like melting into other things and the world explodes. That seems to be like all of these. So <laughs> that's not creative. Uh, and, and I mean, this is just, you know, algorithms predicting what should happen next. I mean, is that true intelligence? It's just hard to say. Although you could argue that a big part of, human intelligence is simply our ability to try and extrapolate what happens next, which is the same thing. Uh, we do it differently for sure. So um, that, that is where I, I find that argument interesting because it, you, you know, it's like, ah, it's not really an intelligence because that's all it does. And it's like, but is maybe that all we do? <laughs> can, can humans even define human intelligence properly yet before they try and define special intelligence? I mean, science has no proper explanation for consciousness. So, <laughs> they, they, you know, you can you can go into the mechanical, the, the brain chemistry model that it's all just, but eh, I don't know. I've had enough experiences. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to go with that. So, yeah. mm. where, where do you see the film industry headed in the next, well, I say 10 years? I, we're, I think we're already watching one. There's going to be a major streaming crash. Uh, I mean, we've we've seen what a modern entertainment crash kind of looks like because of uh, the the pandemic stuff. Uh, the I, the stuff that came out like twenty twenty, I guess uh, for entertainment wise, still had you know stuff filmed, right? Twenty twenty one was kind of rough. I mean, doing other media podcasts, we're we're talking about movies. Like, did this even show in a theater? Like, we don't know. <laughs> Is this a TV show? I, I don't know. Uh, one of my favorite movies last year was the uh, the the weird movie, the the kind of fake. Weird Al bio, uh, 
Weird Al Yankovic biopic. And I don't know where that showed. Uh, you know, is that in a theater? It should have been. I liked it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, because um, do you know who Bert Kreischer is? Comedian. Uh, I do not. Uh, he just released a film called The Machine. Um, but which tr- there's nowhere that's showing it in the theaters in the UK. I think there's two, isn't there, coming in Scotland? One in Scotland and one on an island off Scotland. Yeah, so we we were trying to find somewhere to watch it, but there's nowhere to watch it. Yeah, I guess living in Japan, that's been a thing for a long time. I, I don't see many Disney movies in the theater because if I do, it's going to be dubbed in Japanese with no subtitles. Mm. Uh, whereas <laughs> more, at, more, more not, not adult movies, but you know, maybe more movies for older people uh, will have Japanese subtitles. Uh, though there are both options a lot. So, uh, and then comedies tend not to play in Japan because comedy does is the last thing to translate well. So, um, so uh, you know, my 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 buddy my buddy and I that on podcast uh, films were like, uh, are there comedies anymore? It seems like because you know, like an MCU movie just is supposed to be like splattered with jokes and did that just happens and stuff like that. So. I mean that that's a that's a that's a slow collapse of film in a way. I, I think movies and TV is going to get more blended. Uh, I'm a sci-fi geek. These Star Trek and uh, Orville episodes are, are getting longer. Like I, I watched last ep- uh, season of the Orville, and they're the episodes are practically movie length. Like so, am I watching a movie now? Uh, you have things where it's like oh, ten episodes. And it's like a really long movie and. I don't know. Having seen a few of those, I'm like, well, cut it down to a movie then, and don't yeah, waste exactly. my time. With yeah, these... you're watching some of these ten, eight, eight. Well, even if some of them are six episodes long, and you're like, they've just wanted this to be six episodes. It doesn't need to be. Some of the episodes, some of the full episodes are just filler episodes, just to fill out what they're trying to put out there. Uh, but yeah, what you're saying about movie length. I know Stranger Things, for example. I don't know if you've watched that. Um, that had a what was it like a two hour episode in there? Yeah, the last episode was two hours. Yeah, I mean, do we need that much? I, I saw Stranger Things is kind of weird because I when it was the first season was hyped, and um, I th- I think I watched the first half of the first season and kind of like I don't know it it wasn't really connecting with me, and then I ended up playing like an iPad game that was Stranger Things like kind of Zelda style. I really liked that. I actually finished it. I finished that game. I'd never watched any more Stranger Things. Uh, season three. Um, they're at the mall they're filming in is actually because I'm from Georgia, Atlanta, where they film everything now. And uh, and and in the mall that in Stranger Things season three is the mall I used to hang out and play video games in in the '80s. So I keep thinking maybe I should go watch it, but uh, I mean, there's so many things now. There's no water cooler show. There's nothing we tend to all connect over. So uh, the closest thing might be those Star Wars and MCU. But so I think I mean I I don't think I'm the only person just burning out on this. You know, mm. well, I used to watch. <laughs> All the MCU stuff, and then after Endgame, I felt a bit burnt out from it, like you said. That's that's what I say, and I, I hear more and more people saying after Endgame, it's called Endgame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the last uh, one I watched was um, the most recent Spider-Man one, only because it's a bit nostalgic with Tobey Maguire in it. Same here, and, and I didn't rewatch it because I, yeah. I never felt the, the need to. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, just going back to. Disneyland or Disney World, Disney World, Florida. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I just if you want to know where I've been, I've been to all the parks in Florida. Uh, I've been to both Tokyo Disney's. I've never been to the California one, but I, I, 
I'll sit around and read books written by Imagineers, so I, I can probably talk about it some. <laughs> okay, have you been to the one in Hong Kong? I have not. No, I, I when it opened, I actually did know about it, and and that was when you know the internet was still like kind of a magic mirror. So I was kind of like watching what happened, and then opened. It was like the things there are really good, but there's nothing there. Uh, which I, I assume they fixed that by now. There's probably a few more attractions, but yeah, that was. I just remember when it opened. It's like everything that's there is great, but it's like one ride per land, <laughs> if that. So um, uh, yeah. Anyway, going back to my point. Um... So I remember reading something about Disney. I don't know. Do you, do you know um, DeSantis is the mayor of Florida? Or... Is it one more time? Uh, DeSantis. Oh, oh, right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. Um, did Disneyland Florida get some of their tax benefits taken away because of the disagreement with DeSantis? So this, this has a fair amount of history behind it. Um, and this is actually interesting Disney stuff. Uh, buying up the land, uh, Disneyland in California doesn't. He d- Disney doesn't own much land there, so they can't expand much. And there's you know a bunch of like uh, cheap gift shops and um, and and crappy buffets right around the property. You know, so the idea was in Florida to, and I will get to your point by the way. The, 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 just doing the history here. <laughs> so he was buying the land uh, through proxies. So he just made up a bunch of companies and sent them to Florida and had them buy the land. And it was for Disney because as soon as people knew Disney was buying land there, all of the property rates would just go through the roof. So he was trying to keep it on the down low. Uh, You know, he died before they even broke ground on that stuff. Uh, His plan was to build it at Epcot as the the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. That's it. So he was going to build his own city where I guess, Walt Disney was going to reign as as emperor, the techno emperor or whatever. <laughs> you know, companies are going to innovate here. Everyone here works. Uh, if you retire, I, I guess they kill you or, or you leave. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're like, oh, what? You really should build a Disneyland there, too. So Walt dies. And, you know, that's such an insane plan. Epcot just becomes a, another theme park. But one of the things they kept with this kind of city thing in mind is um, they'd lay down the Reedy Creek Development District where Disney has autonomy on a lot of things like services. They can have their own police, their own fire department. They can control their own utilities. Uh, And that was the case uh, all the way from the late 60s to what, two years ago was it? When, When the whole DeSantis thing came up where and people kind of saw his DeSantis kind of like, you know, spitefully poking Disney in the eye because he didn't like the company. Uh, or, you know, it's, it's hard to say because it's like, well, he's poking his thumb in the eye of a big corporation. But it's like, yeah, it's like it's it's who's the good who's the good guy or who's the bad guy here? Well, it's a it's as George Carlin would say, it's it's a big club and you're not a member. <laughs> And then yeah, Disney and DeSantis are. So, you know, that that's the weird thing when you're looking at a politician facing down a um, corporation or two corporations at it or whatever. It's like, this is all not on your team. <laughs> These are neither side is going to make the best decision for the common man, most likely. Yeah, that's so true. I guess that's the thing, like, uh, you know, I love reading about conspiracies, thinking about them, talking about them, but 
a lot of it in the end is just like people making stupid decisions and then other people, depending on how much power they have, other people have to abide by those stupid decisions and, and so on and so forth. I mean, again, it's, it's more like idiocracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a huge mess, right? Because, um, it's a hierarchy, right? And then depending on where in the hierarchy that was made and what sort of impact that decision is made and what sort of impact it has is all dependent on how high the status they have across the globe. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's like, there are probably a few mad geniuses out there, but a lot of the the horrible conspiratorial stuff, which is still conspiratorial, if you want to call it, but it's somebody, somebody making a bad decision and never going back on it, making a mistake and trying to make the quote unquote best out of it, you know? So, um, I mean, at this point, I don't think too many people are still calling Elon Musk a genius because he can't he can't talk right. <laughs> well, he could be a robot. He could be an alien. Could be a oh, that'd be cool. Okay, if he's, a, if, he, if, he's, if he's David Bowie's man who fell to Earth, then okay, at, at least he's more interesting that way. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because I read a book about him like 10 years ago and I'm like, man, that doesn't even, that, that does, that's before the story even again, really, so... <laughs> Because you know, I see I see these you know, YouTube videos or, or screen shots of like what SpaceX is planning. And man, I, I I'd go to the supermarket and buy like NASA flight tapes. You know, when I when I was a kid and watch them. So I'm like, I think space stuff's cool. But then, do I want to talk about Kubrick faking the moon landing? Sure. Do I want to talk about the idea of space is in there? Sure. Uh, for my day to day, it doesn't really matter if space is there or not, or if we land on the moon or not. You know, um, I find. You reading about the engineers who who put Apollo together, you know, the running on a threadbare computer. That's fascinating. And and but then, hey, sure, why don't we talk about how Stanley Kubrick made made the perfect hoax and then let everyone kind of sort of not really know about it when he made The Shining. That's a fun story, you know. I, I I think Paul McCartney is is Paul McCartney, but I, I I've done a bunch of reading on on Paul being dead and looking at pictures um, of that, <laughs> thinking about the weird things on Beatles album covers. Yeah, I want to hear about that. Uh, I, you know, the less you believe, and the more fun you can have with knowledge. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just sort of reverting back a little bit, you mentioned when I asked. Um where the filming industries or movie TV, the entertainment industry is going to be in the next 10 years. And you said there's going to be a streaming crash. What, what's going to come off the back of that crash? Is it going to be, because you, obviously you see like uh, Amazon prime, I've got partnerships with certain um, labels. I think you want to call them Netflix, obviously have Netflix originals. Is that it, it, streaming crash just going to leave it up to these, corporations to keep Disney, for example, I know Disney's lost a lot of um, market share, but are they going to just keep, is the entertainment just going to be held within these few, five, six companies, corporations? I, th I think it might, yes and no. Um, I think what, I think the music scene, what we saw with the music business is probably what's going to start happening with the movie business. There is still major label music, but like if, say Miley Cyrus puts out an album and it sells like 2 million copies. That's a massive success now. But in the nineties, you want to, you need to sell 20 million. You need to send, sell like 
10 times that. And, you know, I don't know how, how much full of myself I am with music, but I feel like a lot of the music that I listen to, and I, I make music too. So, you know, I'm listening, I'll just come across something and that somebody made in their bedroom. And I'm like, Hey, I kind of like this. And I get hold of that. And honestly, I probably forget about it. And, you know, uh, a few months or a few years, There's a few things stick around. that I listen to a lot, but like, again, there's no, there's no, wa there's no water cooler music. There's no music that, that everyone listens to much anymore. Um, Japan has this major or, or new year. They have a big TV special. It's called Kohaku where they have all the male musicians and female musicians do a singing contest and uh there's always one big smash j-pop hit of the year that they kind of like you know focus the show around maybe have jokes about that or presentations about that in the past few years it's come up like well, what was the big song of this year <laughs> there wasn't like a song everyone like knew and everyone gathered around and i imagine it's i mean i imagine like maybe in the uk and in the states it's like even more so uh <laughs> Just... Yeah, that's really true. But well, a good example, well, a good sort of thing I picked up on is because I um, not too often, but I do go to pub quizzes. Do you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it's a British thing. I think a pub quiz where you'll go to a bar and you'll just do a quiz there. And what they always have a music round in there. And I've noticed, um, not myself personally, because I'm not too well versed with like old school music, but. 70s 80s 90s when them songs come on people are quick to know i know that song it came out this year it's um by this person and they know their answers to them songs but and when you look at modern music stuff from i'll tell you probably 2000 and maybe seven onwards you can't you don't know when that music came out exactly you can't remember what year it came out you struggle to know exactly what the song is who sung it because they're all sort of interwined and they merge into just one sort of era of music. Whereas in, the, I don't know, in the past, it seemed people who were enjoying music were more connected with music. And now there's just a massive disconnect with all sorts of music that comes out. Yeah. I mean, this is, I guess this is our, our technological um, just change of how our own, how we have reprogrammed ourselves because you I, I could let's let's start putting on a positive spin and maybe i'll get dystopian somewhere in there but uh you know like you get to choose exactly the things you love now you need to kind of look for them a little bit and some a lot of people just stop at the first you know the stop back take the first exit off off the ramp right but you gotta look you know like think the music you're taking in should make you feel good or fill you with energy or something you know uh if if you're listening to the ai beatles song there's, there's a little spark missing there i think uh <laughs> a little more of a spark missing there but yeah pre-internet the, the movies were like here are the five movies coming out this week i mean that's five choice like it's pretty good uh now there's like who knows how many things coming out every week so you kind of need to, you know, maybe read around a little bit, you know, be willing to watch five minutes of something and say, Hey, maybe this isn't for me and not waste your time with it. Uh, things like that. One, one of the reasons I think I do so much podcasting is the way I decide what I watch now is what I need to podcast next, you know, <laughs> uh, which if I have a night where I have like, I can watch anything, it's kind of exciting, but at the same time, like, man, I feel like I'm probably doing better on the, 
the nights when I'm, you know, kind of like working. Uh, yeah, because you <laughs> so, got a bit more structure to what you're actually consuming that way. And I'm actively watching it. I'm taking notes as I'm watching it. Sometimes when I do the podcast, I don't even glance at the notes. But the whole point is I'm thinking about it the entire time I'm watching it. And, and that's a problematic thing to do, uh, watch something and become hypnotized by it. Because if you are not actively watching, you will get hypnotized. Sometimes you want to. Sometimes it's fun. That's where it's good to know, like, where it's coming from. So, you know, if it does have something you support or don't support, and you know that ahead of time, it doesn't necessarily, you know, change anything about what you're, the quality of what you're watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess from that model, because uh, me and Aaron, we do a, a book club. So what, what the reason why we've done the book club on the podcast is basically we know we need to read more to obviously gain more insight. But when we're reading, we're not, we, we are taking obviously the information in, but we're only taking it in, let's say, stage one. Whereas if you take notes, you're analyzing the book and then we come on a podcast and, a podcast and discuss it, we're actually consuming that book Sort of tenfold with the amount that of sort of debate that we have about it, amount of thinking that we have around it, and it's a similar thing with the movies, right? Because a lot of people, or most people, would watch a movie for a form of escapism, whereas you're watching it for actively, and it's it's more than just escapism. You're watching it to actually, um, I don't know what the right word is, like respect the film more. You, you're uh, understand what's underneath the hood, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I did yeah. a film. I actually did a uh, a podcasting switch this year, where um, uh, a friend actually from the UK uh, and I were doing sci-fi films because we're both sci-fi geeks, and uh, you know we we did that for three and a half years, and it is good stuff. But you know, I, I got to a point. I'm like, well, we're just we're going to choose our monster movie. We're going to do next Star Trek. We're going to do next Transformers, and. I decided to throw throw that out the window, and he actually instantly agreed to me. Although, you know, for entertainment's sake, he complains about the change in the podcast. But uh, what I did was, I just took a list of the top 100 movies as rated by random viewers on IMDb, so a very arbitrary list, uh, and then and then found a list of the worst. This was on March 1st of this year, so those lists are frozen in time; they've already changed. And now we're watching a whole bunch of things that we never would have watched sometimes it's not so great uh we had to watch the human centipede two full <laughs> <laughs> which which we had a great conversation about by the way uh, so and you know we're we're not trying we're like let's see what filmmaking is good about this too right uh we, to, just to plug it the podcast is called films and filth so at the end, you know, it's like, well, how much of this is a film? How much is it filth? Uh, we've had to do several terrible spoof movies so far. There were three of those till next April, which is kind of nice. But you find, you know, like some of the bad movies you're kind of excited to get to. Like I, I was never going to watch the Flintstones Beaver Rock Vegas, but I am I am next week. I probably was never going to get around to watching Lawrence of Arabia, but I'm in the middle of it now. So <laughs> I'm actually stressed out because it turned out that um. We go back and forth. So one week is a film, the next week's filth. And uh, the the back-to-back films are Lawrence of Arabia and Once Upon a Time in America, neither of which I've seen and both of which are almost four hours long. So that, that's, that stresses me out a little bit. One of the nice things about Caught Disney is, uh, at least in these earlier years, that the movies rarely go above 80 minutes, if that. Uh, Dumbo's 60 minutes. So you can get through that in a blast. <laughs> that's an episode of a series. Did you find any strange 
occult things in uh, Pinocchio. Oh God, yes. <laughs> um, I I would. One thing I'll say about Call Disney is I I am not a listener yet. Uh, it's such an information dump. Um, Thomas the Paranoid American is usually coming up more with the the magical stuff and the um in the background where I'm I'm usually as the the film geek coming in with all the production stuff. You know what the company was doing at the time, uh, and, and that sort of thing. But Pinocchio, yeah, it's uh, written in the uh, 1880s, something like that. Uh, a lot of it is actually talking about Italian politics of the time. Um, you know, there, there's a cult symbolism to the fact that Pinocchio is, is made out of out of pine. Uh, you can throw in some um, Gnostic stuff here where where Geppetto is is a bit. It's kind of a, a demiurge, you know, because once he creates Pinocchio, he's kind of Pinocchio's god in a sort of way. But demiurge god, the god who created you but doesn't know anything beyond that, which, you know, that that does come up a fair amount in, in Disney films, too. And in a lot of films, just where someone creates a situation, uh, Winnie the Pooh, you can there, uh, there's the the popular meme where you just put a different mental disorder on each of the the um, hundred acre woods characters you could also look at um you know like christopher robin as sort of the demiurge and 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 that's sort of the different different ways to interpret that because he's created this world that he's kind of kind of in control of but they they go off and Pooh and his friends do whatever without christopher robin really knowing what's up and um i mean there's there's the kind of goofy movie from not a goofy movie that's a disney movie but uh the, we did when we did the 77 many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, we, we doubled that up with uh, Winnie the Pooh blood and honey thinking we'd never watch it under otherwise. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not a particularly good movie. Um, it is kind of a, a cash in, I think in the end, uh, we did decide that the bizarre monster costumes for Pooh and Piglet were pretty cool. But, uh, so we, we gave, that's one thing. That's one of the reasons I, I, I like talking about the bad movies too, because, I don't want to be a guy that just looks at something and says that's bad and then talk about why it's bad. Like uh, some of my favorite stuff, like uh, especially talking about the twilight zone, I found myself being most critical, critical, critical about the episodes that I really like. <laughs> and I'll just sit there punching holes in them. I'm like, I like this. So let's punch some holes. Let's see what happens. Where if I watch something, you know, quote unquote, terrible, um, I want to find like the the things that did kind of work, things that are interesting. Uh, in that way, I, I was joking about watching spoof movies and Human Centipede, but I'm like, well, I don't, I never want to watch that again. But I, I, you know, I see where director Tom Six sort of like for what he was doing, he actually did it well. It's just something that almost nobody wants to watch. <laughs> you know, the goal was achieved, so you could see it as a very successful movie at the same time our guest on that like he was like i got the blu-ray box set and uh at the end you know what is a film or is it filth it was like uh it's filth it's filth and then just in the background you're film <laughs> <laughs> you know but yeah I, I i don't really like you know i i like to have have fun with this sort of stuff uh one of the reasons that i think uh with the call it disney that we kind of groove so well is uh he, he, you know, paranoid American. That's that's conspiracy th theory stuff. But he's making comic books. You know, he's having fun with it. He's making a comic book about the uh, uh about Kubrick faking the moon landing. You know, uh, 
that the power of humor, you know, the power of laughter is very important because uh, say you want to tell someone truth. If you don't have a good joke, you know, it's like the, the allegory of the cave, you're getting killed. <laughs> mm. Well, and that's why stand-up comedians are so, um, so great at sort of depicting what's actually going on with the world. Cause they say it in such a friendly manner that it's easy to listen to. It's easy to understand. Yeah, I, I drive around sometimes. Uh, I got a I got a 13 year old iPod that only works when connected to my car. I can't connect it to my computer, so what's on there is on there. <laughs> I got com- yeah. you know I got several Bill Hicks albums, several George Carlin albums, even some David Cross, Patton Oswalt albums, and I, I just keep listening to the same comedy albums because I, I can't change what's on the iPad. Like, <laughs> so Bill Hicks and George Carlin, those guys would be super canceled now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. David mm. Cross and Pat Oswalt are considered more progressive now. Um, but I'm listening to these albums from 15, 20 years ago. Funny as hell. I'm like, well, they get canceled too now. <laughs> so, you know, like, I mean, George Carlin is especially, it, it's weird because I, I did a podcast. Um, you, you originally uh, contacted me about oral hygiene, which kind of metamorphosized into a caught Disney. So, uh, you know, caught Disney is now the main feed, so people should probably look that up. Although they call it uh, oral hygiene, but I was talking to one of my my oldest friends, um, loves George Carlin. I love George Carlin. We talked about the American George Carlin's American Dream documentary, um, and I was thinking in the back of my head the whole time, like, you're a very progressive dude, <laughs> you know. <laughs> How do you like George? I, and we were kids and we liked George Carlin, you know? And I'm like, how do you like George Carlin now with what he's saying? <laughs> when... So you said earlier as well, just stick on comedy. Like, comedy's dying uh, in the film industry, especially. Do you think that's it? This is going to come to an end with the comedy side of, of film? Well, you know, senses of humor always change in some ways. Don't change in other ways. Again, I just watched a bunch of Buster Keaton films, and there's some really good jokes in there. Um, I think a lot of us take our comedy more bite-sized these days. You put on a few uh, Key and Peele sketches or something like that, you know? Like, I have never actually watched an episode of, of Key and Peele. There's the um, I Wish You Would Leave uh, series, and they just put out series three of that and i actually watched it i was like wait a minute i've never actually watched episodes of this before i've just seen a bunch of clips so uh, i I know at least for me just just the odd skit here and there yeah yeah i mean you know and and that's where youtube is you know you watch one maybe you thought of the one now youtube's why don't you watch this why don't you watch this okay you know i mean that can get dangerous there's the whole elsa gate thing especially with your kids doing it right um weirdly my daughter never watched much youtube YouTube. uh but <laughs> I, I guess it was yeah the, the clips were still kind of crappy 10 years ago but uh yeah you know when i want to laugh at something again a lot of the comedies baked into other movies and a lot of the comedy we just watch in little bite-sized chunks you know it's fun to sit around with your friends and just you know trade random sketch comedy clips or just weird comedy clips um the the, the most elsa gate we got is um have you ever heard of uh too many cooks okay that that's a bizarre video it's it's made like a sitcom opening from the 80s but it's, it's 12 minutes long and gets more surreal and disturbing as it goes um it, it was shown on dot swim it was actually made in atlanta my hometown 
anyway, after that, we were, we were having a few drinks and stuff. It didn't even touch YouTube. And, you know, three videos in, it's just like the most bizarre humor. You know, we're like, what are we watching? <laughs> <laughs> it was like some lady takes like an antihistamine and then her doppelganger like runs down the street, murders her and and then goes to attack her. We're like, what are we watching? <laughs> so, just a yeah, random set of events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of disturbing events. And, and this is that's the weird thing. Like th some of the AI humor kind of um, mimics that when you let it do it. But then it's just disturbing or yeah, or un uh, mildly uncomfortable. Again, watch all those uh, AI fueled commercials from the past few months. Something um, me and Cameron spoke about on the podcast before and something that came up in a recent Black Mirror episode is current actors leasing out their rights for producers to use their image using a generating AI content. Do you see movies going in that direction within the next 10 years or so? Yeah. Once it's cheap and easy to do and people like it, you know, uh, it, it might not be good, but it'll happen. Uh, again, watch all the live action Disney remakes. They're just generally not good. Uh, as we record this, I believe the the Writers Guild and the and SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, are are still on strike. With those being some of the key things they're thinking about, like, are you going to use our likenesses? Uh, who was it? There, there was a maybe Lord or something who was like, okay, you, I'm going to license my voice. You can do what you want with it. Uh, I'm going to get a little money, and then you can AI it if you want. So. Yeah, well, I think Bruce Willis has done it already because he's fallen ill. Um, I think he's done it to help his family in the future or something. Well, I, I brought that up too and, and kind of got um, more of like there's some managerial shenanigans because keep in mind that the guy can't really communicate anymore. So he maybe doesn't know if he's doing this for his family because I was, I was trying to be positive about the fact they made what like 18 terrible movies in the past two year or the pre you know 2020 2021 or whatever and i was like, oh well, he's doing his family's no his manager was pushing him into that stuff because oh he didn't yeah know better. that's the way it is right <laughs> yeah that's sad actually yeah i know that's why i i was happy when i brought it up and i i just did the same thing to you i i paid it backwards okay <laughs> so yeah but yeah i hopefully the idealistic version holds some truth too but when you start thinking about it, it's, it's kind of like um I've heard some weird stories about Stephen Hawking because it's ah he's he's overcome his uh, debilitating illness and he's still a genius and that man might have been more trapped in there than you thought. <laughs> I mean, th there could have been some smoke and mirrors there, and it and then there's yeah because <laughs> you just see what you see on TV. I mean, yeah, or or there been a certain point where that line was crossed when they really were just pushing out a guy completely trapped in there and pretending he wasn't, you know? I was actually thinking about this the other day because I was listening to him warning about AI. I was thinking, it's just obviously an artificial voice is done for a speaker. I was thinking they could just be programming this with anything. You, you just replaying it out. How do you know he's actually conscious, like they're fully there? Exactly. So, I mean... We're getting so many more and more warnings about AI, aren't we? I mean, people are giving warnings. Nobody's really listening much, which is is kind of the way of things. Um, you know, some and like let's take it that way. You know, think again, thinking through the conspiratorial lens, you could be like, oh, "That's a conspiracy," or AI takes over. It's like, 
Well, it's kind of not because it's on it's on the headlines where it's like, you know, like Google's chief programmer says, hey, this is a problem, folks. Because nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody's listening, you know, that's not a conspiracy. See, that's not listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're, what you're saying about um, Stephen Hawking, the, this is probably conspiracy. Well, obviously is, but having the ability to clone someone to say a certain message with the use of AI is something which will probably happen if they're doing that sort of, they're doing them sort of antics with Stephen Hawkins anyway in, in that world. We, we are so worried about, yeah, we are all so worried about deep fakes three years ago and we're like eight steps past that now, you know? <laughs> I mean, now it's like you watch something you're like, is this real? I don't know. Like I said, I saw the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy through which a lot of people liked, and um, I, I, as I said, I, I think I saw like an Igmar Bergman film because I came in, I saw a bunch of people with space with problems. Uh, they went into space. I fell asleep for the entire action period, apparently. Uh, so then I woke up and they're like bittersweetly, you know, like resolving their issues. So I'm like, well, I just watched Bergman film, okay, but. At the same time, it's just like none of it really resonated. Uh, maybe that's why I took a nap, or not. I maybe I'll, maybe I'll watch it. We'll see. <laughs> but I was just like, it felt kind of like I feel like maybe you know they passed this through AI for a, a draft pass, or or maybe you know you generate the original draft, the first draft using AI because it's quick and easy, and then you refine it. I did that with my podcast artwork, didn't I? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that seems uh, to be the way everything's headed anyway. Um, do you think like with the MCU, um, a lot of people have sort of, uh, would you call it a tribal instinct that they loved it while in their younger years, so they they have to still love it now? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, again, I watched every movie up to Endgame very excitedly. I mean, there are a few I didn't like as much, but uh, yeah, I was excited when it, the new one came out and seeing the movie yeah I, I actually went there with my father and my daughter so it's like this generational viewing i was i was worried because my daughter was still like uh nine at the time and you know my dad's like, is he gonna want to sit through this long movie and they, they both liked it i was like yay so i want to be excited and you just start to realize the thing i was obsessed with for a long time you know it's it's time to kind of let it go <laughs> yeah i guess yeah that's quite sad because it's like uh it's like when you watch a series and you get a bit attached to the characters in there and the series ends you feel a bit of a emptiness, a slight breeze of emptiness. Or when you complete a video game, uh, I know, like with Red Dead Redemption, for example, a lot of people have that feeling of emptiness at the end of uh, completing that. Yeah, I've had a few of those. I'm not, I'm not a serious gamer. Uh, on the films of filth, when the other two guys are, so I, I occasionally just end up uh, taking a five minute break because they're talking about Dark Souls, and I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> anything out there? They did decide that was a citizen can of gaming, I believe, but. Uh... <laughs> Have you on um, Films and Filth analyzed any of the Fast and Furious series? Because that's quite controversial at the moment. Well, see, uh, as far as you know, our populist ratings are concerned, those are going to be in the middle, right? They're going to get like a six where we're looking at the very top and the very bottom. Um, that's one where I did for Black Friday. I think it's when the ninth film came out. So I, I got this Blu-ray set of the first eight, right? And yeah. I've watched... <laughs> exactly none of them so <laughs> uh, I, I was like oh they go you know excuse me i was like fast x do i go in the space and no it was the last one i was like oh okay maybe we should watch nine then. i don't know uh, i i don't 
know. Actually, I don't know what the controversy is either, but I didn't see it. So, well, I think it's controversial in the sense that uh, half of the population love it, and the other half absolutely need them to stop right now because of the sentiment that the first three had, the original trilogy. It's got a sentimental value, and a lot of people feel like they're just milking the cow absolutely dry. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's a. Do you want Do you want to watch a car race a, a submarine or not? You know, so if you do, maybe you're into it. If not, maybe you just want to stick with those first here or something. But um, I, I did watch Hobbs and Shaw. That had some sci-fi elements, and and my co-host is a big Fast and Furious fan, so we did that one because it had enough sci-fi. And I guess we could have done nine, but we didn't. He he forgot to tell me they went to space. So. <laughs> So yeah, that that's a series I, I don't know so well. Yeah, and again with Disney, you know now I mean, I act my favorite Star Wars movie actually is Last Jedi. I really like that movie. That said, uh, Disney took a lot of the fun out of Star Wars once they bought it, um, and and just you know when you get one every two or three years, it's special when it's like you got eight TV series every year to maybe watch, and uh, I'm kind of out. <laughs> I think that's what I like about Stranger Things is every it comes out every two years, so it's not out every year or just out every six months. So you have to wait for it, and you get excited waiting for it. Exactly, it's like you know, it's like now there's always the something verse or something or not verse. Like just give me a few movies; I don't need a verse. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a Spider Verse. I've heard the new one's quite good. So uh, yeah. again, uh, dubbed in Japanese, I think here. So oh well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always down with Spider-Man, sure. <laughs> so what do you think the reason is for Disney's massive share drop? What What's the reason why? Because they're losing subscribers at a rapid rate, or they were losing them at a rapid rate. I'm not too sure around how they've come to fix that. But what, what do you think the reason is for this? But Disney Plus is kind of weird in that it seems people are, do seem to talk about what's on it. And people seem to watch it, but it doesn't really make that much money because um, you have to get new subscribers. If you're not always getting new subscribers, then what does it matter? So, you know, if everyone that's going to subscribe has subscribed, you're only making that money or not. There's no reason to making things to bring an extra money. That's why a lot of TV shows that people really like just don't get picked up for another season. They're too expensive to make. What's the point? You know, make something cheaper. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to make more money either way. So yeah, the, the streaming model seems to be, you know, a bit of a Ponzi scheme, I guess. <laughs> and, and, and companies are slowly learning that, you know, like you can only, you know, pay Tom Sue's money so long before you run out of money. Or in this case, I guess you, just, you maybe you get a stable income, but now you have no incentive. You know, you, within capitalism, you just accidentally made a communist system of filmmaking where <laughs> you're just filling quotas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> through extreme well they say opposite you know you keep going either way you eventually reach the other right <laughs> yeah so i guess yeah you need to go through the phase of failure i guess and hopefully come out the other side um to new i mean what's the difference between extreme communism and extreme fascism it's like do we say money's a thing and who has it <laughs> but money is just paper in the end uh uh, yeah, I teach I, I teach students in Japan. So sometimes, what would you do if you got a million yen, which is ten thousand dollars? It's not that much, but like I'd put it in the bank. I'm like, why? It's paper then, <laughs> and it's not and it's not an interesting answer. <laughs> so I guess I, I feel like that's the uh, the responsible answer to give. But yeah, <laughs> do you think the streaming platforms will introduce like a 
pay-per-view system. That could be one way to change things. Um, yeah, you, I, I don't know how that will work. I don't. I don't know tech stuff. I was just talking today. My uh, daughter was like, because oh, the the rental shop finally closed near my house. That's how weird Japan is. She was running anime there, so she's like, I want to get Amazon Prime. And my wife and we don't know. We don't stream anything. I I'm in a room here with like hundreds of. Well, uh, with CDs, thousands of CDs and movies, you know, uh, a lot of what I watch is just like I, I like thumbing through the physical media, finding something interesting, tossing it on, you know, um, that, that's why I got this Lawrence of Arabia here. I got to watch this four hour movie. I, I'd like to be able, you know, not have to find the file, figure out where I was watching it last, all that sort of stuff. And and also it's a, I'm not watching it on a, the movie theater, as I guess you're supposed to, but I might as well watch it on a, on a nice Blu-ray. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess if it, if it does go back to sort of where you have to purchase a one-time payment to watch the movie, it's going to increase the quality of movies because then they've got their incentive back, right? Right, because um, something people don't know anymore, even with major shows, especially TV shows, we don't know how much money this made or how many people were actually watching it because it's really hard to gauge streaming numbers. So there's not really information of what people are actually watching. You can look on the internet and see what people are talking about. But as we know, what people are talking about on the internet isn't necessarily what everybody thinks. So <laughs> um, it's, it's, the, the, it's hard to know how successful or non-successful, uh, especially for the creators. You know, showrunners don't know if they made a successful show or not because it's all thrown in the same bucket. And it's just, did this company get more subscribers? We think it's because people like Stranger Things this season, but, you know, we can't be sure. Yeah, well, it's like when um, Netflix released, was it called Bird Box, where you couldn't look... Make a noise, or there's a quiet place. You can that's look the, up on well, it. No, yeah, it was called Bird Box, the one where every time you went outside, you had to be blindfolded. Um, but anyway, when it doesn't really matter what the film was, but when they released the film, they also, in their marketing department, um, released loads of memes. So, you know, really sort of amateur created or amateur looking memes out there, um, just to circulate the web. And that just generated sort of like the attraction to it where I'm missing out and I don't understand the joke because I've not seen it. And I'm missing out on what this this meme means. I'm missing out on the joke that's been put out there, and that tra- will channel a lot of people to go and watch that. Whether or not it was a good film, it didn't matter. People needed to watch it to understand what was happening on social media. And I guess I didn't see. I mean, I, I do remember seeing a few, and not probably not actually seeing them. They're just passing over because I didn't understand. So, I, I guess for me, it wasn't so much like oh, I don't understand that. Moving on. Um, <laughs> Which I probably do a lot of. So, yeah, I guess um, it depends on the type of person you are and whether or not you're going to buy at the uh, at the bait that they took out there. I mean, my social media at this point, I, I still have my Facebook because that's important for me to message people. I don't look that much at what's actually on there. I, I might, you know, like try and promote a podcast or two there. Uh, Twitter's just for podcasts, so I just see movies stuff on Twitter for the most part, uh, and well, Disney stuff and movie stuff, the theme park stuff. So my Twitter is actually quite pleasant, which people usually don't say. Um, <laughs> um, I, I hang out with Trekkies in the discord, you know, behind a, a small paywall. And that's, that's where I mostly interact with people because nobody's really 
uh, throwing out their political opinions. We're talking about food and new science fiction movies and pretty much, you know, I mean, there's some deep talk about there because people will talk about these episodes and, you know, the ethics and stuff, but that's good conversation, right? So even if I'm not involved, I'll sit there and read some of those conversations because it's interesting. Whereas, uh, try, you know, trying, uh, when I post my Twilight Zone episodes, Twitter, I'm, I'm very glad people, you know, like it and I get and make comments. I, I, that's a dopamine hit. But when someone is just like saying the name of the actor who's in the picture, I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> I mean, thanks for commenting, but that you, what? <laughs> you know, it's like, I like your picture. I remember that. Or, or the most fun is people asking, like, where can I watch this episode? I'm like, I buy the Blu-ray. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, you or you just would watch Twilight Zone online, and you'll probably be able to. So, uh, <laughs> I, I guess you know, as a guy who's quickly falling behind everything technological, talking to you on a very old computer, um, you know, I, 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 I'm probably getting a fair amount of boomers commenting on the Twilight Zone there. So, <laughs> a very relevant show, but it's also a very old show. So there, there are people of. Um, yeah, reminiscing over it so you know yeah. good for them yeah which is a great thing definitely the nostalgia effect i mean maybe i'm too idealistic i, I try look you know i want to look at try and th you know, joke about people sure but you know try and assume that people are at least think they're making a good decision or think they're saying something like that that should be said you know even if they shouldn't yeah <laughs> yeah 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 right shall we wrap this up or has anyone got any other questions uh, no, I'm good. Okay, groovy. Yeah, I don't. I, I've gone on several rants, so I'm sure there's something to be said there. <laughs> oh, I found this super, super cool. This has been a really fun episode. Um, thank you for coming on. Yeah, cheers. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's see. I'm used to being the despot of my own podcast, so it's it's uh kind of fun to show up and and not be particularly prepared and just uh, ramble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way we like to do it anyway. Quite relaxed, so. I'll leave all your links and everything in the uh, description below. So if people want to, or to all your podcasts, and uh, if you let us know after anything else you want us to link on there, we'll uh, we'll add it in. Okay, I'll send you one more for some music, which uh, I make the music mostly for myself, but uh, hopefully other people dig in. And um, not to go on too long one, but like I really like binaural beats and things like that. You know, ambient. So I started making my own, and then I know what the agenda is there because I made it myself. So, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if, I'm, if I'm getting if I'm getting brainwashed by it, I'm doing it myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will give people if you want to listen to those particular albums or some of the rock and roll or something. It's it's all my own neuroses or the agenda there. So <laughs> yeah, cool. We'll definitely um, advertise that. And check that out as well. Right, thanks everyone Thank for listening. Hey. Cheers, guys. Like Cheers, that. I'm off to off to dinner. <laughs> <laughs>